we take this up today, and, and I've titled this message, The Shadow and the Substance. And we're going to see again how that flows out of what was read in the initial um, call to worship today out of the book of Colossians. That this was a challenge. We remember this. As we came throughout all of the Old Testament, if anyone was going to become a worshiper of the true God, the creator God, the only living God, they had to attach themselves to the covenant people of God. And in doing so, there were certain rituals and requirements where they would disassociate themselves with their former identity and background, and they would identify themselves with Israel, with the Jews. One of the primary elements of that was the act of circumcision. And so what, what is they're struggling with it, and, and I want to note this, I know that for most of us, in our own journey in understanding, most of us have not come to the initial conclusion, well, every Christian needs to be circumcised before they can become a true Christian. That's just not come to us because we're not steeped in that old covenant practice. But nonetheless, there still can be a tendency of groups, and we considered that a little bit last week, to say, unless you... And then fill in the blank by certain traditions or certain experiences, then you cannot be saved. And we looked last week and said that really the, the process of salvation is not so much unless you are circumcised or unless you change. Or, but it is unless God saves you, you will not be saved. Unless God changes you you will not be changed unless God by his gospel through the spirit brings you to repentance. You will not repent unless God by his free grace and gift gives you faith. You will not believe unless God were done right. And we, we saw that and the tendency of men is to focus on men. Now, we do remember that, that the gospel is nonetheless in the design of God attended by commandments. There are gospel commands. Remember, Paul will say, well, I say remember from your own memory. We're not yet to Acts 17, but we will be getting there. But you've read it before. He says, you know, God permitted all nations to go their own ways. But in these last days, but now he commands all. All nations everywhere to repent. And we remember on the day of Pentecost, he gave those two imperatives. You must repent and be baptized. So, so we have these things. And baptism was the outward response, the outward act that would indicate the inward repentance and faith wrought by the Spirit. But these were the commands. Repent, believe, and be baptized. Now, we remember these are the outworkings of God pouring his spirit out upon us. But what I want us to not miss today is, is in all of these things, it is easy for our personal preferences and our traditional practices to begin to take priority over the person of Christ. And that cannot be. We know this and we, we glory in this truth. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is all profitable for correction, instruction, training in righteousness. And so there is a danger of a group of people who, who say, we don't need the Old Testament at all. We only need the New Testament. No, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And actually, when that was first declared to Timothy, it was predominantly referencing the Old Testament. It is the Old Testament that Jesus says throughout the law and the prophets, they speak of me. We remember that. And so what we're going to unpack is to try to understand these things and put it together. Before we do uh, wrestle with circumcision and then unfold the, the transition from the shadow 
to the substance which is Christ. I just want to indicate something here in the beginning. In Acts chapter 15, it says in verse 3, being sent by the church, this is Paul and Barnabas now headed with these men to talk to them, the elders and the, and the apostles in Jerusalem. It says, they went through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in great detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought joy to all the brothers. Verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers that belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. What, what's interesting, and, and before we wrestle with that point, here you have Paul and Barnabas in Phoenicia and Samaria telling what God had done through them in the preaching of the gospel to bring salvation among the nations. And the response in Phoenicia and Samaria was a response of joy. In Jerusalem, they told the same story. And the response was not identical. Where in one case, the response was, praise God for his great grace and work. The other was a sense of judgment, a sense of not good enough. And so the two people professing to be believers heard the same report of God's work and one is filled with joy and the other is filled with a little bit of criticism, a little bit of judgment, a little bit of we're not satisfied with this. We demand something more. And I just want to urge us in the process of this to be careful. I, I, I've been in a circumstance where there was a church discipline issue with, with a man in a church. And, and as a result of some of the things that he had done, the church had to come and confront him in his sin. And to urge him and to call him to turn from his sin. And in the mercies of God, he did. He received that rebuke. Acknowledged the wrong that he had done committed to cut off the practice of that wrong and to walk in a way that honors God. But sadly, in that context, some of the people in the church, when they were told, having heard through the grapevine that nonetheless exists, even in churches, the gossip vine, uh, that of his sin, in hearing that God had brought him to repentance and, and a commitment of restoration, some rejoiced, praise God, that he has brought him back, that his desire is to walk with the Lord and, and not get caught up and bound in that temptation. Praise God for his mercy of restoration. But then there were others who were saying, not enough. I think we need to, uh, he needs to publicly apologize. He needs to be stand on the stage and, and there has to be some greater degree of shame and humiliation that would take place. It's like, wait a second. The scriptures tells us that once there is repentance, there's restoration. He, he, the goal isn't somehow to insert further humiliation between repentance and restoration. It is the grace of God bringing conviction that has brought them to humiliation or to humble themselves, acknowledge their sin and repent. But the same thing, different responses. Now I want us to be a people who our tendency is to see the grace of God and rejoice. I want to remind you that when Barnabas was first sent down to Antioch, having heard that the Hellenists were receiving the gospel and believing, it says, when he saw the grace of God, he was glad. Brothers and sisters, let us look for reasons to rejoice. We live in a world where there is absolutely a ton to be critical of. You know, I don't think I need to encourage any of us to be critical of those around us. Uh, 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 criticism kind of comes naturally to a lot of us. But to focus on the grace of God and the work that he's doing. And with the confidence that, you know what, he who began a good work 
He will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. The day he saved us, he has given us a perfect standing and acceptance of God in Christ Jesus. But are we yet perfect? No. We are going to, by degree, step by step, be transformed by grace through the word and the spirit into the image of the son. And that work won't reach its completion until we see him face to face. It is only when we see him face to face that we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. Until that time, we don't think that we've yet arrived, but we press on towards that upward call of the mark and prize in Christ Jesus. So I just want us to, to keep that in mind. It's easy. I, I, even as someone who teaches and preaches, it, it's easy as, as I study the word for me to think of, oh man, these people are teaching it wrong and these people are misrepresenting it. And the tendency can be, become to present it in a way where it is wrong, 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 right. You know, and and that works for a lot of people. And, and if we share the same perspective, then we gather with joy about that. But Rather than just wrong, 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 right, so to speak. I mean, our goal is to be right. It is all else is wrong. God's word is right. God is right. He is true. Even if every man is a liar, we want to know this truth that we might draw near to God, that we might live obedient to God, that we might bring glory to God. In the end, it's not so that we boast in our seeming rightness, but we boast in our God. Who is the one who has given us his truth. Amen. So I just want, don't want us to miss those things. And we will not insert. In Acts 15.1 uh, it said this. As they came down to Antioch. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses. You cannot be saved. In verse 5 it said. Now in Jerusalem, the Pharisees, the Pharisees who had professed Christ. Rose up and said. It is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. I mean, this is a, a, a very important chapter because even now we live in an age where there are different divisions and denominations and sects and even cults who make a stand on how we understand how we are to live in Christ. And so what I want us to see is we move from the shadow to the substance within which is Christ. And it is Christ. We are his friends if we obey his commandments. We abide in him when we walk according to his word. And what Jesus really does is he raises. For those who have read the Sermon on the Mount, he raises remarkably the standard of law that was on the people in the Old Testament. They could not commit adultery. That was clear in the Ten Commandments, right? But Jesus says, you've heard it, you not commit adultery. But I say that if you've lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. What? So he was taking a, a, where the, a multitude of people would have been ready to point their fingers at the known adulterers while kind of feeling good about themselves. And he's shown all of them to some degree to be unfit. And so we've got, we've got to unpack this, and I want us to see, and, and they have, and the scripture has, for example, given this in the form of circumcision. We considered this a while back when we considered 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in the mornings, but we're going to consider it together. So let us understand, so there's a little technical aspect to it, but I think when we, when we trace the thread, it helps us to understand the fulfillment and centrality of Christ. So go back with me if you will. To Genesis chapter 17. In Genesis 17. This is again a reiteration. God has from Genesis 12. And then in 15. And now again in 17. Been indicating his covenant with Abraham. It is in chapter 17. That he indicates to Abraham. That this covenant with him. Is going to have a sign connected to it and the sign of the covenant will be circumcision okay at this point ishmael is 13 years old 
And it says this in verse chapter 17 of Genesis, verse 10. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, that's how it first of all starts. Now, I note this. This covenant will be, the scriptures say, it is a sign. So, it's not the ultimate thing. It is a sign of the covenant. It points to something else. I think it's also valuable for us to note this. Uh, and, I, and I want to try to be as delicate as possible because circumcision is, is, an, is an unpleasant image. But the reality is generally as you're walking on the roadside, whether an individual male that you're passing by does or does not have the sign of the covenant is not going to be known to you. Okay, the, the, it's a sign, but it, it's, 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 not, it's not on their chest. It's not on their head. It's not, it's not in something they're wearing. It's something that they only know in, in secrecy and in privacy. And generally speaking, looking at a person in their ordinary state of travel, God alone knows. Okay, so I wanted to, to note this. It, it's a sign, but it wasn't going to be that uh, some kind of a big public show. It was somewhat of a private sign that each individual male had to have that would represent his participation in that covenant. Now further, in verse 12, he who is eight, year, eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether he's born in your house or bought with your own money, any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he is born in your house and he who is bought with money shall be circumcised. Now, I know this is uncomfortable language for us because it clearly involves the reality of slavery in antiquity. Someone bought with your money. But in, in that context, I'm going to bring out something in a moment that you're going to see this is beautiful and sort of rises above those things. It says this, um, verse 14, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh and the foreskin shall be cut off from the people. He has broken my covenant. All right. So, so note this. It wasn't just the offspring of Abraham. It was everyone associated with him, everyone attached to his family, and it would be even those that he would have acquired by purchase. But listen, so those who have not his blood, have not his traditional heritage and racial makeup, would nonetheless receive circumcision and the sign of the covenant and be included as the people of Abraham. And if he has a son of his own blood, and that son is not circumcised, then there is a sense in which the slave that is circumcised is a part of the people of Abraham. And the son that is not circumcised is cut off, is not a part. Do you get what I'm saying? So, so, so the significance was in the sign rather than any of those other attending things that God would acknowledge the inclusion of these foreigners or these individuals from other backgrounds and communities as completely included among Abraham and someone literally bearing his lineage and blood cut off. Now, to us, that seems weird. Why would you cut off those who are clearly deserving to belong and then accept completely those who I don't see why they should be accepted? Again, I remind us of this reality all the time. God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. He's not bound to our opinions. But there's something important being taught in that. The inclusion in that covenant was by virtue of this sign. 
Now, uh, just so, so you note this, if you go down, still in Genesis 17 to verse, uh, say, 22. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Down in verse 23, it says he took everybody in his house that had been born in his house or bought with money, every male from among Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very day. I like that. God said, do this. And the instruction, I, you know, again, as delicate as possible. The instruction of God, exceedingly undesirable. Right? We, we have an example of this taking place later, where, where those who have gone through this are in severe to debilitating pain and recovery for at least the first three days. Then maybe it becomes manageable to, to get back to something, but this is not something, you, you know, I, sometimes in my mind I'm thinking, all right, let's, let's gather ourselves, let's fix a day, maybe next week, nah, maybe next month, <laughs> you know, how, how far can I put off this misery before God won't feel like I'm just disobey. I, I feel like that may tend to be where, where my mind might go. I hope and pray it wouldn't, and I take courage from what God did here that very day. He, and, and I think that there's, health, uh, there's a healthy prospect in that. We don't need to sit back and say, well, I don't know how reasonable it is. Why circumcision? Maybe I should go back to God and, and Say something else. I'm thinking a tattoo of some sort or specific hairstyles or something else I mean, I, that others can see. So it's a better plan, actually. So I, let, let me go ahead and tell God my better plan. Is that ever going to work? No, no, no. I mean, it works only for us believing it's a better plan. But the beauty of this is, it's again, a simple reminder. When it's really clear what God has said, you know what God's people do? They say yes. They act on it. They believe it. They accept it. Why? Because God said it, and he said it clearly. And as you read through there, was there any confusion what he wanted? You, your children, those born, uh, bought, every male circumcised. Now listen to what it says in verse 25 or verse 24. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in his flesh. You know, and Ishmael, his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in his flesh. That very day, Abraham Ishmael were circumcised, all the men of his house, all those born in his house, all those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. That was an intense day. Also, I want to note this to, to you. Um, in the sense it says when they were circumcised, it's, it, it, it's, it's not something that you necessarily did to self. All right? It, it, it's, it, it, it's stated in that passive. I mean, obviously there was a, a little bit of cooperation going on but this was something that was done to you and that that's something that you, I need you to keep in mind as we're going to move forward it was going to happen also on the eighth day now when he turns a hundred God is going to give him a child Isaac and it tells us in Acts chapter 7 verse, verse 8 Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day Right, so he not only obeyed that very day, but he carried a consistent pattern of obedience. He, even when God is going to say, take your son, your beloved son, and sacrifice him, what is Abraham going to do? He's going to obey him. Now, all of this, all of this, what we might call ridiculous, radical, possibly some might think reckless obedience... Stems from what? Well, Abraham believed God 
and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The obedience flowed from faith, right? And so not only with him, but the scriptures remind us, Paul also, when he's tell, telling about his experience in Philippians 3.5, he says he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. Of Jesus, it says this in Luke 2.21, at the end of eight days, he was circumcised and they called his name Jesus. So again, coming forward, according to the instruction and law that was set to Abraham, for who would be the descendants of Abraham to not be cut off? They were to be circumcised on the eighth day, and indeed that happened to Jesus. And we're going to see more of that as we move forward. Further, as we've talked about it being something that is generally hidden from the public eye, but known to the individual clearly, and for those to, to whom... Uh, such as Abraham, who received it at 99 years old, to those such as the, the children who were born in the wilderness, who had to, at the end of the wilderness journey before going into the promised land, all receive circumcision again. It would have been an event that you would remember. It would have been something that would not quickly fade from your mind. And when we understand it, it had a significant inward meaning. So circumcision was required to be considered the descendants of Abraham. Then it would be included in the law given to Moses and the descendants. But listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 10 verse 16. God gives them this instruction. In Deuteronomy 10 16 he says, Circumcise therefore... The foreskin of your heart and no longer be stubborn. Now, I know most of us in this room are not medical professionals, but we probably are aware that heart circumcision is not a procedure that really takes place. So what's what's this talking about? Is it talking literally or spiritually, symbolically? Yeah, it's explained further in that very passage where it says, no longer be stubborn. It says this in Jeremiah 4.4, 4, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskins of your hearts, O men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire. So God was pleased even as it went on. Okay, I've made you and you can be identified with Abraham. And the children of Israel will, will be able to be identified with Abraham. And the sign of that covenant to some extent will be their circumcision. But their connection with Abraham and with Israel. If it is only a sign in their flesh... It does not deliver from wrath. It was to be a, a, something that ought regularly remind them, do not be stubborn. Do not be self-serving. Do not be self-leading. Obey God. Then it goes on to tell us this. Um, it's not only an Old Testament problem. In Acts chapter 7, as Stephen is preaching, he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. In this context, who is it that was granting the prophecies to the prophets? The Holy Spirit. Who is it that, that was giving the gospel message to the apostles and enabling them to deliver it with boldness? The Holy Spirit. And so it was, they were resisting the message, the word, the truth that had been delivered to man by the Holy Spirit to the one who declares it. And it's declared, but they are uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in ears. They're not hearing it right, and they're not loving it and obeying it right. So this is a, 
a strong condemnation. And, and as a, what's interesting, when he says that to them, he's letting them know, much like what we just read moments ago in Ezekiel, you're under the wrath of God. You still remain under the wrath of God. And what did he experience, Stephen, by warning them that because of their spiritual and heart condition, they were still under the wrath of God. Indeed, they would be cut off from the true people of God in Christ. He experienced their wrath. And they stoned him to death. But listen, what's interesting is there are a, a number of commands there that specifically said circumcise your heart, circumcise your heart. But again, like flesh circumcision wasn't something that you did to yourself. It was something someone did to you. Heart circumcision is also not something that you do to yourself. He, and someone would say, but how can God command them to have heart circumcision if it's something they cannot do? And then they stand forward with a boldness and they philosophize. God cannot command anyone to do what he is not capable of doing. It would not be fair. It would not be just. And I say, okay, what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5 verse 48? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So how many of us can do that? Is that not a clear example of a command that we cannot meet? And of course, that's not the only one taking up what was stated in Leviticus again over in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says this in 1 Peter 1.15. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. All right. So the standard of perfection that we are commanded to reach is what? The standard of God and the standard of holiness is the standard of God's holiness. That is the requirement. Who can do it? So what do we do? We acknowledge our inability and we say, God, you must make me perfect. You must make me holy. And in union with Christ, we are declared justified. We are declared, we are treated as if we are without blemish. As if we are without spot. As if we are perfect. And we're clearly not perfect because some people are playing music right now. Alrighty, so again, let, let's focus in here. So, but I want us to note this, the, the same thing for a moment the disciples struggled with in Luke chapter 18, when the rich young ruler could not, um, uh, did not repent, even though eternal life was right there before him. What, what is it that Jesus said? How difficult it is for a rich man to be saved. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. And you're, you're saying, what is all this? And they, then they said, well, then who can be saved? Well, who can be perfect? Well, who can be holy? Well, who can circumcise their hearts? And the answer is quite simple. What is impossible with men is possible with God. And that's why it says, the psalmist cries out like this. Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. It's not, it's not, it's not the confidence of someone saying, I'm going to clean up my heart. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to fix it. There's a reason why David was a man after God's own heart. Because he knew that God was the remaker of hearts. God was, is the circumciser of hearts and ears. 
God is the one who brings these things. And that's why it says this in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Listen again. Back to Deuteronomy to the children of Israel says this. Deuteronomy 36. And the Lord, your God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart. So when your heart remains circumcised, un uh, uncircumcised in its natural condition, what it, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Does anyone do it? But when God, by His grace and His mercy through Christ, circumcises our hearts and ears and we receive that gospel, we now what? Love God and walk in obedience to Him. And Christ becomes for us all of these things. So, so for a moment, I want us to consider the, the, the reversals that would take place. So in the minds of the Jews, and in the unfolding of the Old Testament... If you were circumcised, it indicated that you were a part of the people of God. As a sign, an outward sign. And if you were uncircumcised, you were then, in the, there, in the Old Testament covenant mind, not part, cut off from the people of God. Now as we come into the New Testament, the sign is being completed. And the substance of Christ and the spiritual reality of Christ is taking its place. I want to help us to understand that by going with me to Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2 it says this, verse 25. For circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law... Your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Now, that's obviously not a fleshly thing. It's a spiritual reality. So, now, circumcision is going to work for you to, to be part of the people of God if you can then fulfill all the law requires. Uh, brothers and sisters, who can do that? What is, we, we know what James tells us, right? James 2.10 says, Whoever keeps the whole law, yet offends or breaks in one point, he becomes guilty of all. And no one will be justified by the works of the law. Why? Can the scripture say that with confidence? Because no one, is able to fulfill all the righteous requirements of the law without ever failing. But in the grace of God, there was one. His son, Jesus Christ, who came and fulfilled those things. So, someone who would be circumcised, and in their mind, I am part of the people of God. They, their confidence is in their sign and in their old covenant law. But he says, if you don't fulfill it perfectly, then you're cut off. So, you, so all of them would say, wait a second, then that means we are effectively all uncircumcised. So you're now saying that we are no, we're not the people of God? Ah, yes. And he keeps going and it says this. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? It's like, wait a second, you're turning this all around backwards. This person who's physically circumcised is treated as if he's not. This person who is physically uncircumcised is treated by God as if he is circumcised. What's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. The scripture is transitioning from the flesh to the spiritual. From that which is rooted in flesh to that which is grounded in faith. That's why it says further in, in Romans 2, verse 28, it explains this clearly. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Now, that would be a shocking thing to say. Wait a second. I mean, if you were to go back and, and, and you're Abraham, who at 99 received the sign in his flesh. Wait, you mean circumcision is not outward and physical? 
Well, for him it was required, but it was a sign of something that is not outward and physical. The sign is giving way to the substance. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit and not the letter. And his praise is not from man, but from God. So it says now in Romans 4, is this blessing then, uh, Romans 4, 9, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? And he explains it further. We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? It was, not, uh, it, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. So listen, Abraham's experience will be different than all of his fleshly descendants. Abraham's experience is going to be faith followed by the sign. All of his fleshly descendants will have the sign in their flesh. And hopefully at some point along the way, faith might attend to it as well. But see, Abraham was going to be the father of not only those who would have the sign in their flesh, but even those who would not have the sign in their flesh, but would have inward circumcision. And those who through the work of the Spirit would bringing them to faith in Christ, like Abraham, would receive a sign... Afterwards, a lot of people like to connect baptism to circumcision. And if you want to do that, look at how it was done to Abraham, the man of faith. Because our connection to Abraham is not by flesh, but by faith. So let us follow his pattern. Faith followed by the sign in an act of obedience. But he goes on further and says, what, because why? He received the sign of the circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. I mean, all of us, we, our baptism is after we believed and we're saved by faith. But th this is an act of, an expression of faith. And repentance. I'm going to keep reading. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised in heart. And so all of this uh, completely unpacks it. Now listen. Let's, let's move on to the substance as our, as our time is uh, running upon us. Look with me in Galatians chapter 5, and I want us to see the substance of this. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says this. Look, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, these people are still, even after Acts 15, still pushing for this idea that you must receive this outwardly. And what Paul is wanting them to understand is, if you do that, you're not trusting in Christ by faith. Our confidence is in the faith that God has wrought in our hearts by the Spirit. Our confidence is in the fact that we by grace believe in Jesus Christ. It's not in our flesh. And so if you receive circumcision, then what you're basically saying is, I don't think my faith gets me there. And so he says... If you, can, if you accept, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again, every man who accepts circumcision, he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. That is a frightening notion. Because remember, the Old Testament, if you would not be circumcised, you would be severed, cut off from the people of God. Now, if your confidence is going to go back to the flesh, you are severed from Christ. Because your connection to Christ, your true connection to the people of God is now entirely by faith. Not in the flesh. That's why he would say this in verse 6 of Galatians 5. For in Christ Jesus, 
neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But only faith working through love. That's why it reminds us of this unique reality in the connection with Abraham. Galatians 3.16 says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Now remember this. Abraham himself, as well as uh, all of those who followed him, all of the rabbis through the centuries, to them, Abraham and his offspring were what? Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs, and so on. But the scripture here tells us something we didn't expect. It says the promises made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say his offsprings as in many. But referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. So wait a second. You're saying ultimately the promises that God gave to Abraham. Are not ultimately realized or fulfilled in Isaac, Jacob, and the patriarchs in the nation of Israel. But they find their fulfillment in the person of Christ? Yes. That's exactly. The, the signs and the shadows find their substance and their centrality in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Which is why it says this in Galatians 6.15. Neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So I'm going to just, we're going to have to unpack some of this uh, a little bit more next week. So I'm going to just go down to Colossians as we close out. Now listen to this. So someone says, well, I don't understand then what all these signs and things fulfilled and what all these law fulfilled. The fact is this, the, the, the law Reminded people, I am unholy, and he is holy, and I need to be holy. In order to, for them to understand that, they had also so many other signs of sacrifices. They had to actually put blood during the Passover on the doorposts, on the top and on the side doorposts, and that would be a sign for them. And all these kinds of things were signs that told them, you need forgiveness. You need the wrath of God to pass over you. You need the mercy of God. You are not perfect. You need something more. And that something more was not in Isaac, was not in Jacob, was not in Moses, was not in the law, but it's in Christ. And listen to what it says in Colossians 2.11. In him. That is in Christ, you and I, now in Christ, it says in him, you were also circumcised. Okay, so that's how the uncircumcised are circumcised in heart, which is necessary to avoid the wrath and not be cut off from the people. And that's how even the circumcised in flesh are ultimately saved and included in the true people of God by what? The circumcision that is in Christ. It is, the, what, it is the substance that the sign pointed to. It says, in him you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now, for centuries, uh, it was clear that that meant it's a spiritual circumcision. But now that we have robotic surgeries and such, people can get confused notions. No, no, no. This is not I'm talking about a robotic surgery. This is something that is done spiritually. In him, you were circumcised. By the putting off of the body of the flesh. What does the scripture say? You were in the flesh, but now you are in the spirit. Put off the works of the flesh and put on the new man, renewed in the new image. You were under the dominion and slavery of the flesh and the law. And praise be to God that you have been set free from that. And so it goes on to say this. Having been buried with him in baptism. In which you were raised through faith. 
wish I could say this, get my Presbyterian brothers and sisters to listen to this. The significance of baptism bears the profound reality in what? You're buried in baptism and you were raised with him through faith. So, so realistically, you don't want to baptize a baby and hold him under and not raise him until he exhibits faith. You don't want to do that. The, the beauty of it is when we by grace through faith believe like Abraham, then he was circumcised. We are baptized into Christ and raised through faith. It is the saying, I have no confidence in the flesh. I have no confidence in my deeds. I have no confidence in my righteousness. I have no confidence in my heritage. My hope, my confidence is in Christ, my Savior. Amen? That's our hope of salvation. Nowhere else. And then it goes on to say, and I'm going to jump down, uh, if you would, with me to verse 34. And, and we'll take these things up next week. Therefore, let no one pass judgments on you in questions of food and drink and regarding festivals and new moons and Sabbaths. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. Christ is the light of the world. Christ is the light that has arisen on the nations. Brothers and sisters, let us bask in the glory and the light of Christ and not stand in the shadows. But that rich and refreshing and renewing light that God grants us by faith. Well, let's pray. And we're going to take this up again next week and unpack a few more pieces of it. Lord, as we... Um, move through this world, we recognize in spite of the grace of God and faith that is ours, we walk by faith and not by sight. We trust not in the flesh, but in our union with Christ and the salvation that is in him. But Lord, we still know that in the journey that you have set before us, even as we considered earlier this morning, it is filled with much struggle and affliction. And it is oft in need of your comfort and grace. And so, Lord, we pray that at all times of struggles and at all times of weakness, you again would be pleased to fix our hearts and our minds, indeed our eyes, upon Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Lord, we pray that he would continue to be for us our hope, our faith, even as the scripture says he's become for us our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, so that let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. We thank you that salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And we will not trust in our flesh or our deeds or our works, but only the outworking of your grace and power that has made us your people in your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.